Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Hope you and your family had a great Christmas yesterday. We're looking forward to getting together with my broadcast partners today. This is a special edition of Prophecy Today, 2020, a year in review. We're going to look back over the last 12 months, talk about topics with our broadcast partners that they've discussed with me throughout the year. David Dolan with a Middle East News update. Winky Madad will go more in-depth with the Israel situation as it relates to this last year. John Rood has his European Union update. Sharam Hadian is going to talk about Iran. We'll focus in particular on Iran because Sharam came out of Iran When he was about eight years old, a Iranian-born young man who is now serving the Lord. And then David James will look at the evangelical activities of 2020 as well. Let me get right underway. Ken, I hope you and your family had a great Christmas yesterday. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks, Jimmy. It's a pleasure to be with you. And uh, I tell you, Florida is a a great relief after all those years in in, uh, icy Maryland. (laughs) Yes, I can understand that. Born and raised in Miami myself, I understand uh, the climate and the weather situation in that wonderful state. Ken, we're going to look at 2020 in review, and I've just got to ask you, did you really believe that the theme of your fictional novel, The Election Heist, could really come to pass when you wrote it before it ever happened? Well, Jimmy, I wrote the book so it wouldn't come to pass. I wrote the book as a warning, it's a fiction but not a fantasy, as a warning to Donald Trump and to the Republican Party of the types of things the Democrats were planning. At least I believe that they were planning a all-of-the-above strategy to steal the election of 2020. The book was published, remember, in August of this year. It was finished in February of this year, so I didn't know what was actually going to happen. But so many things from that book have actually occurred. We've seen the emergence of Black Lives Matter, of Antifa, of mobs in the streets going down Fifth Avenue, destroying New York. That was all in the book. We saw how they actually got into the voting machines and flipped votes. That was in the book. Even some of the names of the people uh, are the same in the book as they are in real world. And people I'd never heard of before, like Eric Coomer at Dominion Software, uh, the person The fictional name is Eric Figueroa, and he is a fictional character who infiltrates the voting machines in different counties. There are so many things, right down to specifics, that were in the election heist that have taken place in the past two months. It's really quite uncanny. And I would suggest you could still get a copy of it. It's going to be very interesting. The election heist at Amazon.com or KenTimmerman.com. Get your copy. Judy and I have already read it. Very enjoyable read. Well, let's get to now some of the hard news as it relates to Iran. I was speaking about them just a moment ago. Uh, They're a major focus in this last year, 2020. Discuss with us how bad they have been in relations to developing a nuclear weapon of mass destruction. Well, first, remember that the new year began with an attack on the U.S. Embassy in Baghdad by Iranian-backed proxies. And Donald Trump reacted immediately and vigorously by moving 100 Marines to Baghdad from Kuwait. Very different from what Obama and Biden did in 2012 when Benghazi 
was attacked, when our, our consulate and the CIA outposts were attacked there. So it began with Iranian terror. Uh, it continued with Iran desperately seeking to expand its nuclear capabilities. Just last week, the Iranian Majlis passed a bill requiring the government to produce a uranium at 20%. 20% enriched uranium is 93% of the way to nuclear weapons grade. So the parliament has now obliged the government and their atomic energy organization to basically enrich uranium up to weapons grade. With that, it's just a matter of days or weeks before they can turn the screw to a nuclear weapon that they can put on a missile, because we know that they've done the design. So they have been really working at this very, very hard all year long. That's the bad news. The good news, Jimmy, is that President Trump's campaign of maximum pressure has really bankrupted the Iranian regime. They are in big, big trouble, and they are desperately, desperately hoping for a lifesaver from a Biden administration. All of Biden's appointees and the people that he said he would appoint to high office have been part of the pro-Tehran movement. They're even putting one of their lobbyists into the White House. It's unbelievable. I'm not sure that guy is even a U.S. citizen. He's a dual Swedish-Iranian national, and he is going to be the top Middle East advisor to Joe Biden should he become president on January 20th. That's Iran 2020. I can't hardly wait to next week when Ken will come back with us as a broadcast partner to look at Iran 2021, a prophetic perspective. You do not want to miss next week's program either. Well, Russia today is and has been in 2020 key to the Middle East and to the activities unfolding there. Talk to us about Russia and as it relates to Syria, Russia a major player there in the country, nation of Syria. Well, that's right. And Russia has solidified its position in Syria. Their military base, the naval base, Tartus, their air bases there, they are now entrenched, uh, just as they were in the last decade and a half, if you wish, of the Cold War. So Russia has military bases in Syria, which, you know, five years ago they did not. And they have tremendous political clout in Syria and with Iran. And Iran, of course, is, is engaged all over. But let, let me again put a caveat on this. The Russians are a weakened nation. They do not have the economic clout of China. I know we're going to talk about China in just a minute, but they don't have the economic reach of China. They do have extraordinary cyber capabilities. And that's really what I am most worried about when it comes to Russia. I'm worried about their ability to work together with China and Iran as a coalition to take down the United States in all aspects of our power, starting with a cyber attack, which they just demonstrated these past two weeks when they infiltrated basically a large portion of our national security apparatus. That's how they would start a cyber attack on the United States. It could then expand. And I know you've had Peter Pry on this program to explain to you. It could expand to take down our national electric power grid, and we would probably never recover from that type of attack. And what Ken has just told us may well be simply the tip of the iceberg. More on that next week when we look into 2021. Okay, let's do get to China right now. 
they have been right on track with what they've been planning to do, take control of the entire world, militarily, economically, the Middle East, etc. What about militarily? Talk to us about China and their military activities. Well, the Chinese have uh, dramatically expanded their military apparatus. They now have a navy, a blue water navy, which has as many ships as the U.S. Navy has got. Okay, they don't have aircraft carriers. That's a huge uh, lack. But they have a large number of assault vessels. They have amphibious assault vessels, which clearly they've been building for an attack on Taiwan and uh, eventually for other parts of the South China Sea to begin with. Uh, the Chinese have expanded. They have fifth-generation aircraft, stealth aircraft, that are incorporating U.S. technologies that they've bought, borrowed, or stolen. Uh, much of this began in the 1990s when the CIA the, and the Pentagon were discounting the Chinese. I can remember from those days when I was reporting for the American Spectator on China's effort to buy U.S. technology, to buy uh, U.S. military. Uh, I can remember that you know the CIA uh, was telling us, well, it didn't matter. The Chinese were so far behind us in technology and in the military, it would take them 30 years to catch up. Well, guess what? It's now 25 years later, and they have caught up, and they are in the uh, process of surpassing us in many of these advanced technologies. The Chinese are way ahead of us when it comes to artificial intelligence. They have crowd recognition, facial recognition software that can examine photographs and video from a crowd and identify individuals. They've been using this in Hong Kong to suppress uh, the pro-freedom movement. Uh, So China is today a threat. They have a far greater number of nuclear weapons than they've declared. They've declared something like 300. Uh, Many analysts believe that they have 10 times that number, perhaps 3,000, which is half of what we've got. So the Chinese have a large arsenal. They've got a huge bank account. And they demonstrated with COVID that they are looking at conflict in a multifaceted way. They're not just front-end military confrontation. They're looking at unconventional warfare, all kinds of strategies to undermine our society and to immediately jeopardize our national security through the propagation of a virus that basically cripples our economy and cripples our nation. Speaking of the economy, when we get together, I want next week for you to talk about economically where China has been, what they're going to be doing in the future to try to reach their ultimate goal. But bottom line, China, would you not say, is a real threat to America? China is the military threat to America, the economic threat to America, the civilizational threat to America as we go into the 2020s. And that's a year in review from a geopolitical perspective, coming from our broadcast partner, Ken Temmerman. He's traveled the world. He's a great best-selling author. It is just so exciting for me to be able to have a conversation with him on a weekly basis and have his update for us, his analysis of what is happening. Hey, have a happy new year. We'll talk to you the day after the New Year's celebration with a 2021 prophetic perspective. Uh, But uh, have a happy new year, you and your family, Ken. Thanks so much, Jimmy. I very much look forward to it in 2021. 2021, a very interesting year to come. Well, we're going to have to take a break. David Dolan's standing by. He's got his Middle East news update. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. 
Have you always wanted to visit the land of Israel? Imagine what it would be like to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. With Joshua Travel, you can visit Israel past, present, and prophetic. The Bible will come alive as you see places like the shepherd's field where our Lord was born, Caesarea Philippi, Cana of Galilee, Capernaum, the Garden of Gethsemane, and the Garden Tomb. You'll even experience an exciting boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time to not just visit the sites, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and to our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place from where Jesus will rule and reign one day. Call Joshua Travel today at 423-821-3635 to find out more about this trip of a lifetime, or you can visit us online at joshuatravel.com. I have written a book entitled Sound the Trumpets. This book looks at four major trends given to us in the prophetic passages of God's Word. This book will look at an alignment of nations, who will form a coalition to wipe Israel off the face of the earth, that their name be forgotten forever. That's Psalm 83 and verse 4. Now this book would help you to better understand why all of the activity that is going on in the Middle East, current events, is actually setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. It will be a great source of information that will assist you in your study of Bible prophecy. Go to my prophecy bookstore, prophecytoday.com, then to the bookstore to make your purchase of the book, Sound the Trumpets. Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm here at Broadcast Central. Today, a special edition of Prophecy Today, 2020, a year in review. If you're going to look at one region of the world that is key to seeing how God is making preparations for his end-time scenario to be played out, you'd have to look at the Middle East. We have a broadcast partner, David Dolan, who has served as a journalist in that region of the world for over 30 years. That's why we go to him on a weekly basis for his Middle East news update. David, I hope you had a wonderful Christmas and uh, indeed a happy new year to you right now. Thank you, Jimmy. Did have a good Christmas and looking forward to the new year, although let's see how that turns out. Yes, indeed. Well, that's what we're going to be talking about next week. And I'm going to call upon you to be a prophet to some extent. I know you're not a prophet nor the son of a prophet. But next week, we'll be looking at 2021, a prophetic perspective. But I want to take the time now with you in this conversation to look back over 2020 there in the Middle East, and in particular in Israel. I would have to say it's been a bumpy ride in the political arena there, the coalition problems, Netanyahu and Gantz. Talk to us about the politics of Israel, where there's never a dull moment. Well, Jimmy, in reality, it's been a bumpy year in every area of life, basically, in Israel and around the world. But on the political stage, just this week, we had uh, some very important developments. The coalition government did finally fall apart completely, 
and new elections were set for March 23rd of next year. That was after months of wrangling between the two main parties in the national emergency government that was formed in April because of COVID, basically, and, of course, included the Netanyahu's party, the Likud, as the leader of it, and Blue and White, Benny Gantz's party, as second in command, with the rotation between the two men as prime minister supposed to take place next November. Well, that's now off. Earlier in the week, there was a Knesset vote finally to dissolve the Knesset. It has gone home, basically, and a interim government, another interim government has been formed. This will be the fourth election in uh, just uh, well under two years, Jimmy, and uh, very stressful for the Israeli public. Earlier this month, Gideon Sa'ar, one of the leading Likud Knesset members, broke away from the party and formed a new one called New Hope, and uh, several Likud party members voted with him in the vote earlier this week to dissolve the Knesset and go to new elections. So uh, the wrangling continues, and it's been pretty bitter. That's just the way politics have been in Israel during these crisis days. And it certainly is never a dull moment in the political arena in Israel. One of the major stories has been the Abraham Accords. Discuss with us the reality of a relationship between Israel and the four Arab nations that came together in 2020, the UAE, Bahrain, Sudan, and Morocco. Well, Jimmy, it's been a great triumph for the Trump administration, of course, uh, brokering all of this, and especially the president's son-in-law, Jared Kirshner. He flew on Tuesday to Morocco with an Israeli delegation to meet with King Mohammed and other leaders there, the first direct El Al flight between Israel and Morocco, that despite the fact that the airport was virtually closed, but that was a special flight, and a square is being named in honor of him in the new U.S. Embassy in Jerusalem after Kirshner. Real breakthroughs, Jimmy, and, uh, you know, to have those direct flights is amazing. It increases business activity. Many Israelis have already gone to Abu Dhabi and Dubai and other Gulf locations, those countries joining in the Abraham Accords, and even uh, Orthodox Jews are going there to get married because the COVID restrictions are far less. So this is a definite breakthrough, and peace still with Jordan, peace still with Egypt. And there is hope that other countries will come on board before the Trump administration leaves office in late January. But even if that doesn't happen, just these four is certainly a remarkable achievement. And when we get together next week, I'd love for you to give us some of your ideas as to who of the remaining members of the Arab League may come and normalize relations with Israel. You've mentioned often the situation with the coronavirus there in Israel, the deaths and uh, the shutdowns, which have shut down tourism, which has always been a problem. Is it getting any better, or has this year been the ultimate of what's going to happen? Well, Jimmy, as you know, uh, your ministry taking tourists to Israel, it's a vital part of Israel's economy to have foreign visitors come in. Most of them are Christians. Many Jews, of course, also come. And last year, 2019, was a record year for tourism. Over 4.5 million people flew to the country or came on ships and visited. This year, it's been just a trickle. Uh, things were improving, uh, that after over 3,000 deaths due to coronavirus, over 375,000 cases reported by Christmas in Israel. 
But the new wave that's hit the United States and Europe and many other places has also hit Israel. And so earlier this week, the government once again closed everything down. The airport basically shut. Hotels have mostly been closed since March, although the government is renting a number of them out as quarantine centers where they can send sick patients and returning Israelis from countries where there's been a surge. There's concern and some evidence that the new, uh, more viral strain that's uh, striking the U.K. and the Netherlands and South Africa and other places has already arrived in Israel, so that was another factor in the new three-week lockdown that was declared earlier this week. So great disappointment in Israel. It's affected all life, and of course, Christmas yesterday was very, very different than normal. No celebrations in Bethlehem or in Jerusalem. In fact, even local Roman Catholics and Protestants couldn't go to their churches. Everything was closed down, so not a very happy year in that sense. Let me talk to you about what the Bible, the ancient Jewish prophet Zechariah mentioned there in chapter 12 and verse 2 about Jerusalem, and in particular, the Temple Mount being the center of controversy in the last days. There has been an effort to keep Jews off the Temple Mount this last year. However, as I understand it, there have been more Jews able to go up onto the Temple Mount this year than any other year. Is that correct? That is correct. Substantially greater numbers of Jews, mostly Orthodox Jews, that uh, went up and prayed on the Temple Mount during the various holidays. Now, a couple of the times the Temple Mount was completely closed off because of the coronavirus, but nevertheless, again, people aren't traveling. Israelis love to travel abroad, as you know, but very few doing that this year. And uh, many of the synagogues had limitations. Uh, all of them did, in fact, limitations on how many could attend and this sort of thing. So where are they going to go pray? Well, the Western Wall was one place, but there were restrictions there. Why not on the Temple Mount itself? So there has been a steady stream of Jews going up there. We're hearing it larger numbers than ever before in Israel's modern history. Of course, the desire is to have that open up entirely. But just a reminder earlier this week, Jimmy, that it's still a center of controversy. We had a young Palestinian go up there with a machine gun and open fire on Israeli police posts on the Temple Mount, and uh, he was shot dead. Just a reminder that this is a continuing crisis. He was shouting out that Arabs should not be visiting uh, from abroad, from other countries, the Temple Mount. This is exclusively a Muslim zone. And until Jews are not there at all, Muslims shouldn't be coming up there in support of Israel. In this essence is what he was saying. David, that report is tangible evidence of the fact that this is going to be a very controversial piece of real estate. Also, it's evidence that the Palestinians are not going to give up their protest to try to keep the Jews off the Temple Mount, is it? Well, no, and again, they're uh, supported by regional powers, Iran in particular, and that crisis continues. We had Israel send its first nuclear submarine through the Suez Canal earlier in the week, uh, heading to the Persian Gulf, where it joined an American submarine force, so we still have that conflict going on, and the Palestinians still boistered by that support. Hamas once again said this week there will never be a peace with Israel. Israel intercepted some money being sent by Iran to Hamas in the Gaza Strip. That conflict is going to continue as long as there are religious Muslims, Muslim fundamentalists, that believe that it's exclusively their holy site and Jews shouldn't be there. Quickly, talk to me about control of the Temple Mount. Jordan is a bit concerned about Saudi Arabia, who would like to take over that control and control all three of the Islamic holy sites. 
Well, Jimmy, we may know about that fairly soon. There is a push from the White House to get Saudi Arabia on board these Abraham Accords before President Trump leaves office in the, at the end of January, so we may find out something about that. But apparently, Prime Minister Netanyahu did promise that the Jordanians would no longer be the sole custodians, but that Saudi Arabia would at least have a formal role in that. We'll have to see if that takes place. Jordanians not very happy about that. And more on that subject when David comes back to the broadcast table next week. We'll be looking at 2021, a prophetic perspective. Great report on your Middle East news update, David. Thank you so much. Hope you'll have a happy new year. We'll talk next year to you. And the same to you, Jimmy. God bless. Going to take a quick break when we come back. Our buddy and friend, Winky Madad, will join me at the broadcast table. We'll be talking about a potpourri of issues. You do not want to miss that. It's all ahead, right here on Prophecy Today. Have you ever wanted to know more about God's plan for the future? Have you ever tried to understand prophetic passages in God's Word, like, say, the book of Revelation, and been frustrated at not being able to figure it out? Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest CD series, Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, will help you gain the ability to understand where to start in your study of prophecy and allow you to read God's Word in a new and exciting way. Understanding God's prophetic Word will allow you to live a pure and productive life until Jesus returns for the church. Keys will help you gain the tools you need to understand the end-time events as foretold in God's Word. Dr. DeYoung lays out a systematic approach to Bible prophecy for those who want to know God's plan for the future. Tracks included are A Roadmap Through the End Times, The Jew in Jerusalem, Daniel and the Antichrist, Ezekiel and Messiah's Temple, and Revelation and Babylon. To order your copy of Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, visit our website at prophecytoday.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central in Chattanooga, Tennessee, day after Christmas. And this is a 2020 year in review that we're giving you, talking with our broadcast partners and dealing with the issues that unfolded during this last year. Next week, We'll be looking at 2021, a prophetic perspective. Many of our same broadcast partners will come back to do that with us, and that will include Winky Madad. So we'll look ahead as it relates to Israel. But Winky, thank you for joining us, and I want you to be able to help us to remember 2020 as it relates to several issues I'll bring them to your attention. For example, you live in a Jewish settlement, which is in Shiloh, one of the very historic and biblical communities, Jewish communities in the state of Israel, dating back to Joshua bringing the children of Israel into the promised land some 3,500 years ago. I know that over the last, oh, maybe 10, 15 years, the Jewish settlement population or Jewish community population, as you probably refer there in the territories of Judea and Samaria, have been growing. What about this year? Have they continued to grow, and have you had any type of an effect from the government and or the Palestinian people on the growth of these Jewish settlements? Well, Jimmy, I guess it would not be unfair to say that we always expect a little bit more. Politically or diplomatically speaking, 
If you remember, and our listeners remember, there was the issue of sovereignty about a half a year ago, the Trump peace plan. We were supposed to extend sovereignty to certain areas, which would allow us to really move ahead and get the issue of whether or not we're temporary or permanent off the agenda, but that did not happen, and that's a basic problem. Growth in terms of construction of houses in the main communities, in the or should I say even the veteran communities, basically continues. We're not being interfered with. But there are certain areas where there could be improvement, especially what we call the younger or the more junior of the communities that were established over the past 15 years, and there have been some problems in terms of licensing and zoning, which still leaves them a little bit in limbo from a legal perspective. How many would be living in the area of Judea and Samaria? What's the present population? Well, Jimmy, if we include eastern Jerusalem, or what what the Arabs called East Jerusalem, or what I call the post-1967 neighborhoods of Jerusalem, uh, that, of course, adds about 210,000. So we have to keep that on the side, but keep it in mind. We're talking about probably over... 550,000 already in Judea and Samaria. Now, I'm talking about uh, Samaria, uh, the area north of where I live, the areas south of where I live. We are a very strong population with many institutions, and it's a very solid, good figure. When you think about uh, the political situation, quite a bumpy road as it relates to all of Israel and the political arena. But how has politics played a role in the areas of Judea and Samaria? Any problems out there as far as the Jewish communities are concerned? Well, there are always problems because we're still under a military government in a technical sense. And therefore, certain issues uh, were probably too complicated to explain in a short period of time, dealing with the military government, dealing with the civil administration, and I'm not even relating to any of the security instances that, of course, have come up recently now, but uh, in terms of water, in terms of agriculture, in terms of continuing to construct industrial parks, which I call natural living, is still problematic in terms of uh, getting everything authorized and decided upon. But in reality, it is a promise from God that he would give the Jewish people this area of Judea and Samaria. So you are, in essence, living in a promised land and watching that promise unfold, aren't you? Jimmy, we see God's promise and success in the prophetic message because we grow wine, we grow olives, or I should say we produce wine better, scientific advances, everything that we are doing here is showing that, indeed, the promise is being fulfilled. And, of course, folks, that is in the area of Judea and Samaria, basically the center part of the state of Israel. One other focus that is always key to understand is the Temple Mount in the city of Jerusalem. It's the most sacred piece of real estate for the Jewish people. Going to be a temple up there someday. I'll ask you about that in a moment. But that controversy does not settle down. It only expands, does it not? Yes, it does, unfortunately. And I can just point our uh, listeners 
in the direction of Turkey, which has been heavily interfering in a certain Jerusalem aspects in terms of putting in money, buying property, declaring that Al-Aqsa is the next issue. Al-Aqsa, of course, meaning the Arab uh, buildings up on the Temple Mount. As his next agenda item, uh, the fact that we still cannot openly pray at the Temple Mount as Jews, we're still considered uh, visitors, and there are also other lacking uh, religious freedom issues, which both Christians and Jews uh, suffer at the site. Uh, I'm sure there could be some sort of compromise or accommodation figured out, but it's becoming very, very difficult with the what we call the Waqf authorities, uh, those uh, religious Islamic uh, authorities who are in charge of the site. You know, one of the things that I've gleaned from my study of the prophetic Word of God is that there will be a temple. And I do believe that next to the fact that Jews are living in Judea and Samaria, which is a great indicator of God at work, there will be a temple on the Temple Mount where that gold dome building is located. Preparations for that basically completed, are they not? And everybody's ready to start building that temple, aren't they? Well, I would say that the core of the issue in terms of getting it on the public consciousness has been very successful, and all sorts of aspects of what to do up on the Temple Mount in terms of sacrifices, in terms of construction of utensils and practicing Passover sacrifices, all this we've been talking about for years, Jimmy, we're still lacking government acknowledgement that things have to move on to another stage, but we've come a long way, as we say, and there's still a long way to go, but we're on the right path. I understand that government is interfering with what the Jewish people would really like to do as it relates to rebuilding that temple on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. But God can overrule that. He may do it any time now. That construction could start, and there will be a temple. That's an absolute from God's precious prophetic word. Winky, it's always a joy to be able to talk to you. We're going to talk as it relates to the new year, through the Christian new year, Uh, You've already had yours in the Jewish world, but Happy New Year to you. And next year, actually one day after New Year's Day, we'll have a conversation about 2021, a prophetic perspective. Looking forward to that. Thank you for being our broadcast partner down through this year, Winky. We appreciate it so much. Look forward to the day after New Year's. Jimmy, thank you very much for having me on. And to you and all the listeners, a wonderful festive uh, period uh, that's coming up. We should all enjoy good health and uh, our families as well. Again, thank you. Goodbye to you and our listeners. Winky Madad always brings to the broadcast table some interesting insight, especially with what's going on in the Jewish state of Israel. If you want to know where God is in his timeline for the end times, you focus on the Jewish people and the state of Israel. There is another location in this world, the European Union, that is key to the prophetic scenario that is found in God's Word as we look at the book of Daniel, the book of Revelation. We see that the European Union, which I do believe is the infrastructure for the revived Roman Empire, is going to play a key role 
in the end times. Therefore, our broadcast partner, John Rood, who has lived in the area of the European Union, in fact, at its headquarters there in Brussels, Belgium, is on top of the stories coming out of there. John, hope you had a great Christmas. I want to wish you a happy new year. But let's get to the task at hand. We're looking at 2020, a year in review. So let me start with most likely, I guess, the biggest story other than COVID would be Brexit and the trade agreements they're trying to pull together. Can you give us an update on where they are in that process? Right. To the surprise of many, Brexit actually happened. Of course, it was uh, something that lingered on for a long, long time. But uh, we have to realize now that after the Brexit date itself, there was given till the end of 2020 for actually making especially the trade agreements. So those talks have basically broken down. So there's a great probability of a no-deal Brexit. And as well, looking in an overview summary, we see that the United Kingdom is setting an example for the other EU nations. They say even with this minimal EU cooperation, you can survive and thrive by leaving the European Union. Um, They had plenty of chance to uh, get this negotiated, but the EU has not budged on especially the trade and the fisheries. And the EU Commission president is saying that there's the highest probability that there'll be no deal. Well, talk to me about the fact if it's going to be easy, even though they are not able to negotiate a trade deal, it's going to be easy to get out of the European Union. Do you see other member states moving out of the EU as well this next year? Uh, in the next year, that that is difficult to say, but we definitely have the precedent. It, it has actually happened. There was a lot of difficulty to get it done, but it was done. And so many nations have different uh, oppositions towards many different groups, uh, but especially Brussels. So it's a, it is a certain possibility to see other nations break out. Uh, it's a question of the timing. More on that next week as we take a look at 2021, a prophetic perspective. So come back again next week to hear what John has to say about that. Well, John, I'm going to ask you about the European Union and relations with different entities, states, or political operations, etc. So you can give me some staccato answers, if you will. How about the European Union relations with the United States? EU and uh, the United States summary, transatlantic relations have been very strange. EU, their hierarchy wants to reproduce the former status quo with the Biden administration. They want strength on the world stage. They need the USA, but they don't want the USA. And so there's a necessity that the EU grows its policies to be dependent of the United States for their objectives, but they're just too divided to accomplish it. And this last year, what about relations with Israel? How have they been? The EU has always uh, remained a staunch and uh, strong Palestinian ties. It's holding them back in their influence on the world stage. Six Arab states, they've established relations with Israel. And the very latest is even Turkey is considering a reset with uh, Israel. But uh, the EU's influence is declining in Israel because of their hard stand while other nations are 
are softening and establishing new relations. I understand that Iran has threatened terrorism on the European Union. Uh, there's been some terrorism this last year. What about EU relations with Iran? EU is very pressured to uh, please the Iran and the United States, and you can't do both. They have found backdoor solutions for uh, appeasing Iran, but Iran is, makes many, many demands. And essentially, it's economics playing a very, very big role here. We all know the Iran nuclear deal was a fiasco. The European Union is trying to keep the foot in the door. Very, very difficult. I understand also that NATO, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, was established to protect the EU member states from Russia. How's that relationship going? EU and Russia, you know, they say the relations have been breaking down, and yet they're stable. So it's, it's in a continual state of breaking down. That seems to be the norm. The EU is very dependent on the Russian gas, particularly there's many differences. Uh, Russia's been very aggressive. Series of crises, uh, Ukraine, Belarus, Crimea. It appears that it could be for some years that that is basically how things will stay. And we know how the relations with the uh, United States and China are going. What about the European Union and China? China is moving to gain influence in the EU. They have symbolic victories is what I would call it. It just right now, there's an investment agreement. After seven years of negotiations, China has barely budged and totally dominates. It's not a level playing field. So uh, China is using its way to gain influence in the European Union in the same style that they uh, used a lot of weight in the last couple of decades in Africa. We just want to add that the EU, they aspire to be the dominant place on the world stage, and so they have a big challenge to speak as a single voice, but uh, we could hear, expect to hear more from uh, Joseph Borrell. He's the EU High Representative of the Union for Foreign Affairs and Security Policy. So he personifies this role of being the single voice of the European Union. They have EU diplomatic uh, missions all around the world, speaking of all these different relations worldwide. But really, the goal is to speak with one voice, and he's the person, that's the position that does it. And we'll hear more about those aspirations of the European Union when John and I get together next week and we look at 2021, a prophetic perspective. John, thank you much. Great report today. Appreciate it. And uh, have a happy new year, you and your family. Thank you. Happy new year to all. John Rood with his update on the European Union, a key report each week because of the fact that the European Union at least is going to be the infrastructure for the revived Roman Empire. And when you look at Daniel 7, Revelation chapter 17, you can see the part that the revived Roman Empire will play in the end-time scenario that's found in God's Word. Well, we have talked earlier with Ken Timmerman about Iran. I want to bring now to the broadcast table Sharam Hadian. He is a Iranian-born young man who has come to America with his family 
After 28 years, he came to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, now involved in a wonderful ministry, reaching out to the Muslim community to bring them to Jesus Christ, but at the same time, using the opportunity of ministry in the church to warn the church of the threat from Islam and people and places like Iran. Sharam, quickly, your website for the friends who may want to touch base with you. Uh, thank you, Dr. DeYoung. It's TILproject.com. TIL, which stands for Truth and Love, project.com. Let's get now to my main topic to talk with you about. That would be Iran. Now, as we look back over the entire 2020 year, the 12-month period of time, some very interesting developments took place as it relates to Iran. I do happen to believe probably in Iran itself, the main headline may have been the assassination by the United States of Soleimani, who was the head of the Revolutionary Guard, the Quds Force, etc., your thoughts. Do the people of Iran get concerned when you take out a military leader like that? Well, that was a major, major blow to the IRGC, the Iranian Revolutionary Guard, which basically the way that I try to explain to people is that the IRGC would be kind of like the combination of the CIA, the FBI, along with special forces. And Soleimani headed up the Quds Force. Just for the audience, Dr. Young, the word al-Quds in Arabic and from the Quran is for the name that they had for Jerusalem. You know, the, the Quran never mentions Jerusalem, but it uses this word Quds. So that's basically the name of the Jerusalem force. And the, the mission of the IRGC and the mission of Soleimani ultimately going back, uh, if you remember, to the, the Beirut bombings in 84 and so forth and so on, he has continued to advocate the destruction of Israel and the destruction of Jerusalem and ultimately the Jewish people. So this was a major, major blow to the Iranian Revolutionary Guard by President Trump to take out Soleimani. It shifted the power. Now there is a new head of the, of the IRGC, Hossein Salami, but it was a major operation. And by the way, can I say, I believe, I, 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 I've had suspicion that one of the reasons that the president acted, particularly in, 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 in taking them out in Iraq, was because there was some talk that they were planning on taking U.S. hostages again in Iraq, potentially from the embassy. And I think you could have seen a, a repeat of 1979, 444 days. Remember that, uh, Dr. DeYoung? And Trump was not going to be Jimmy Carter. And I think that was a motivation. There was some evidence that they had, some intel that they had, that could have been what he was planning on doing to basically rub it in the face of the United States. And Trump wasn't going to play that game like Jimmy Carter did. And he was going to be like uh, Reagan that said, you know, you better release them or else. You know, there was not the only assassination that took place. High-ranking assassinations on people that were major players in Iran uh, the nuclear scientist, the top scientist, as it relates to the development of that nuclear weapon of mass destruction, he was also taken out. Was that also a big blow for the Iranian regime? It is a big blow for two reasons. I mean, he can be replaced, but why it's a big blow is that those who are replacing him, just like with Soleimani, they now know that they're sort of the next target in line. You remember in the Old Testament when 
priest would go into the Holy of Holies with a belt around him, with a, with a rope and a, and a bell, and if the sacrifice was not pleasing to the Lord, that priest would not come out alive. And could you imagine the next person in line? So to me, that's kind of what we're witnessing here. So yes, you're absolutely right. There was the assassination of Mohsen uh, Fakhrizadeh. Now, this was the head of Iran's SPND. Uh, this is an acronym for their research and, and development. And they suspect that there was a project called Project Ahmad, which was the covert program to establish their nuclear bomb. And of course, all of the international community saying, oh, well, you know, Iran gave that up in 2003. Nobody believed that. Nobody really believed they gave it up. And, and he was the head of that. So the Iranian Revolutionary Guard, the IRGC, claims, claims that there was no active shooter at the scene. And yet he was shot 13 times by either a sniper that had incredible aim because his wife was just a few inches away from him and she was not shot. He was shot and his bodyguard was shot who was trying to protect him. Uh, but it was an incredibly surgical strike. Uh, they, they claimed that it was some sort of a, a machine gun that was not was remotely operated. We don't know that. We can't verify. But again, the reason this is an incredible blow, and whether the U.S. was behind this, whether Israel had a hand in this, it, is because it shows that Iran is getting closer. And I think every time you see these kind of blows, they're getting closer to either develop, you know, getting the nuclear bomb, which they're going to use on Israel, or their domination in the region, like with Soleimani. So you got to think about whoever's coming up next and is going to be taking over the program. They know that they are now a target for these covert operations. We also know, Sharam, that Iran is very much concerned about the United States, and Israel would like to take out the big Satan, United States, and the little Satan, Israel, as well. But the Islamic world, along with Iran, play a major role in what's going on here in the United States. Speak briefly, if you will, about Iran and Islam in the media here in America. What part are they playing in their effort to try to defeat the United States? Well, I think you're going to see in the days ahead that they had a major role in our election fraud, the interference, along with China and Russia, possibly Turkey. And number one reason for that is because we know that the voting machines came out of Venezuela. The, the, they were used there first as far as the, the software. Uh, Iran has been very closely tied with Venezuela, going back to Hugo Chavez and now with Madera there. So they're a major key player that way. They've been interfering with social media. There's, there's, by the way, there's also some speculation that this solar winds uh, power outage and, and, and hack that happened, they suspect potentially in top nuclear sites and in the Pentagon. They think there was maybe a hack of the power grid. The Iranians and the IRGC have been trying to do that for years. That is one of the ways that they've said that they're going to take down the U.S. with their potential cyber warfare actions. We also see uh, the aspect of Hezbollah in Mexico. So they're a major player, Dr. Dion, in coming against the United States, as you said, the great Satan. And then one other factor is that the potential of a Biden presidency, with Biden bringing in, you have, you know, John Kerry's connection under Obama to Iran. You have Valerie Jarrett's connection under Obama to Iran. And you have, of course, the nuclear deal. So a Biden-Harris administration is really bad news for us taking a tough stand against Iran and their aspirations to destroy Israel. I think it's bad news for Israel. It's bad news for the United States. 
with how they're going to target us. So, so this has got to be a major factor of us watching this and speaking out against this, understanding the regime. Now, at the same time, again, there's, there's a great movement in Iran among Christians and, and, and a spiritual movement there that's happening. But the government of Iran, they are bent on world domination, on establishing a caliphate. They believe that they're supposed to usher in the Islamic Messiah. Uh, they're operating under that assertion the United States is a direct threat to that. So we have to keep pressure uh, and have a strength position against Iran and not appeasement like Obama. I love the fact that you brought in the eschatology of Iran. That is the main motivation for doing what they're doing. They're going to be a bad player. Bible prophecy records that prophecy written by the prophet Ezekiel, the ancient Jewish prophet, there in Ezekiel chapter 38, verse 5, where Iran is referred to as Persia. Sharam, thank you so very much. We appreciate how you help us continue to look at, number one, Iran, number two, the Islamic world. We appreciate it. Hope you had a great Christmas, and let me wish you a happy new year. We'll be on the air with you next year for sure. Thank you so much, my good friend. Thank you, Dr. DeYoung, and Happy New Year to everybody, and uh, may God continue to lead us in the days ahead. God bless you guys as well. Thank you. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, one more broadcast partner, David James, standing by. We're going to look at a year in review as it relates to the evangelical Christian community, not only here in America, but around the world. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung. Welcome to the third half hour of the 90-minute broadcast that I requested from you so that we could give you our broadcast partners on this special edition of Prophecy Today, 2020, a year in review. So glad you could join us. I'll be talking with David James in a moment. Keep the dial set right where it is want to remind you to go answer the poll question. It's on the homepage of my website, prophecytoday.com. On the left-hand column, if you'll scroll down, you'll find the question, do you believe since the rapture did not happen in 2020 that 2021 would be a great year for the rapture to take place? That's the poll question. Be sure to answer that question. On Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday, we're going to have a prophecy conference at the Heritage Baptist Church in Calhoun, Georgia. Pastor Shane Parrott is going to invite all of us to come study the Word of God, and I'll be teaching a prophetic perspective on 2021. Sunday we'll meet at 11 in the morning, 6 in the evening, then Monday and Tuesday at 6.30. Just before we go to David James, let me just ask you to prayerfully consider an end-of-the-year gift for our ministry here at Prophecy Today. We can only continue to operate as we get support from those who benefit from this ministry of alerting the world of the soon coming of Jesus Christ, you can go to my website to find out how you can donate an end-of-the-year gift 
to Prophecy Today. And thank you very much in advance for what you're going to do. We now bring to these microphones David James. David comes to the broadcast table here on Prophecy Today on a weekly basis with me. We take an issue that is confronting the body of Christ, and we endeavor to give you a prophetic perspective on that issue from a biblical perspective as well. I'm so grateful to have David along. He does a lot of great research. He's done that for a couple of years now, and we appreciate the people that write in to us with emails telling us we have helped them to come to some conclusions on these issues that we are discussing. David, hope you and your family had a wonderful Christmas. I'll wish you a happy new year right now if I forget to do it at the end. But let's begin with saying that each and every year, David, you and I come together to look at a year in review. In fact, you gave me the idea, I do believe, for this year. One of the things we started doing in 2020 was answering listeners' questions almost every week. So that's how I thought it would be good to start today's discussion with an interesting email about the Abraham Accords. Yeah, well, thanks, Jimmy, and uh, we did have a great Christmas, and Happy New Year to you and your family and and colleagues there in Tennessee. So our listener wrote this, uh, there's been a lot of talk on the Internet about the Abraham Accord peace coin and the symbols on the back side. Could you address what many are describing as prophetic? Thank you, and God bless your ministry. So as you know, Jimmy, this peace plan led to normalized relations between Israel and four Arab states, the UAE, Bahrain, Sudan, and more recently Morocco, but I wasn't aware of the coin. And on the front of the coin is a skyline of Jerusalem combined with Abu Dhabi with Israel and the UAE flags above it, and below it, Abraham Accord is written in Arabic, Hebrew, and English, and below that is the sea of the President of the United States. And on the back is a quote from Jeremiah in Hebrew and from the Quran in Arabic and English with President Trump's signature at the bottom. Then the main symbol is an Islamic scimitar, a sword that morphs into symbols of peace and prosperity as well as agricultural and technological advances. And honestly, it's really very strange. So I've seen articles and videos saying this is nefarious symbolism related to a satanic endgame under the Antichrist. And while I would say that maybe some conclusions about the symbols are a stretch, uh, you have to ask what the designer was trying to communicate. So are these prophetic symbols with satanic clues hidden in plain sight? I I don't know. But we do know that there will be a satanically inspired peace treaty during Daniel's 70th week that will be affirmed and put into place by the Antichrist based upon Daniel chapter 9. Yes, I agree 100%. You know, we continually endeavor to try to teach ourselves and others as well that we look to the Word of God for the absolute truth, not to a coin or to any other symbol of any type, except we must go to the absolute Word of God. And that's what we endeavor to do, not only answering our questions, but discussing our issues as well. David, next week we're going to be taking a forward look at the year ahead. So going back to that discussion that we had at the beginning of 2020, 
why don't we just take a moment and I want to ask you, is there anything that stands out to you in particular from that first program in 2020? Well, Jimmy, I keep notes from all of our discussions, and I see that one of the things we talked about was the upcoming presidential election, and of course, that was one of the top news stories of the year. Another thing we talked about was the ongoing rise of anti-Semitism around the world, which has been a serious problem. And we also talked about how some in the church contribute to this in a more subtle way because of replacement theology, which denies uh, that Israel has a place in God's program in the future. Two major things we didn't see coming were the coronavirus pandemic and the civil unrest across the country with the widespread destruction and loss of life. And, of course, there were many other important things we talked about over the course of the year. David, you just mentioned the presidential election, and, of course, it turned out to be very contentious and controversial. And, in fact, it's still, in some ways, it's that same way. But maybe we can talk about some of the positive things that the president accomplished during his tenure, and especially in this last year, 2020. These are topics that we've discussed throughout the year. Get to those, if you will. Well, I think there are any number of positive things to give President Trump credit for during this very difficult year. One uh, lasting impact was the ongoing lifetime appointments of federal judges who are constitutional originalists. During the first presidential debate, President Trump said this, by the end of the first term, I will have approximately 300 federal judges in court of appeals judges, 300, and hopefully three great Supreme Court justices as well. And Amy Coney Barrett was confirmed on October 26th, tipping the Supreme Court to the conservative side as the president's third justice appointment, joining Kavanaugh and Gorsuch, and of course Thomas and Alito are also solid conservatives. The president successfully fulfilled his promise to move the embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem in 2017, and has continued to work to bring peace to the region uh, with the Abraham Accord that we talked about earlier. And of course, there won't be true peace there until Christ returns, but I do think it puts the United States in a place of blessing because of the Abrahamic Covenant. Another legacy of this administration is its pro-life stance, leading to a number of states enacting stricter abortion laws, including heartbeat bills. And of course, on the other side, there are those who accuse the president of mishandling the COVID crisis, as well as things related to the dramatic unrest in cities across the country that uh, we mentioned a few minutes ago. You know, over the course of this past year, we talked about the elections several times and the radically different platforms of the Republican and the Democratic parties. This should be of a great concern for believers as we think about the results of this last presidential election. Well, Jimmy, as I said when we discussed this back in October, we try to be careful about how we deal with political issues, and so we don't just blindly support any particular party or candidate or advocate for one or the other, except to the degree that it reflects biblical values. So at the same time, these moral and ethical issues that we're concerned about and discuss all the time are inevitably intertwined with politics, and I have deep concerns about Biden and Harris on philosophical and moral grounds. As a practicing Catholic, Biden was denied communion at a church in South Carolina, and a priest in Fort Worth 
told faculty at uh, his school that they were not to celebrate Biden's election publicly on social media, calling him a pro-abortionist. As an attorney, Kamala Harris described herself as a progressive prosecutor, and she's pushed to the left on issues like the death penalty and has been a staunch supporter of the LGBTQ community. And she supports very few abortion restrictions. And back in August, Franklin Graham observed that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are labeled as the most pro-abortion presidential ticket in the history of our nation. Jimmy, I think it's very likely that Joe Biden will need to step down because of his health, perhaps not too far into his presidency, making Harris the president, and I think that is a legitimate concern. And I think we'll look at that next week as we look at 2021, a prophetic perspective. Well, David, let's now move to the coronavirus pandemic. As you said, we certainly did not see this coming, but we did talk quite a bit about it, and as well as everybody else talking about it once we were in the middle of it. Remind us of some of the more important things that we discuss. Well, it's certainly been one of the toughest years for many of us in a long time, and perhaps for some in their lifetime, and we've tried to use our platform and influence to bring some balance and perspective to a situation that's been so polarizing and divisive at every level of relationships. Our first discussion of the COVID crisis was on March 14th, and the pandemic has affected churches and families, and it's personal for me, Jimmy, my my father, who is in a nursing home uh, with COPD, emphysema, and congestive heart failure is now tested positive. I think one of the most important things that we've tried to bring attention to is the need for us to think the best of one another and stop lobbing accusation grenades at those with whom we disagree about uh, on how to handle this. And I've seen this happened far too much uh, over the course of this year. And there are sincere and godly people all across the broad spectrum on this issue within churches and among friends and within families. And so we all need to be loving toward one another as we sometimes need to kindly agree to disagree. And next week, as we look at the year ahead, I'm going to discuss why I think we may be at the brink of this whole thing spinning out of control even more so than it is right now. Wow, that's a great teaser. And by the way, I just heard that your dad has tested positive. Judy and I will be praying for your dad. I hope others listening in will do that same thing as well. David, another major issue for much of 2020 that you mentioned earlier was the unrest across the country, which was some of the worst that we've seen in decades. And in fact, we're still seeing ripple effects of those unrest activities. That's true. That The civil unrest began at the end of May with an event that the New York Times article described this way. On May 25th, Minneapolis police officers arrested George Floyd, and Jimmy, you and I know what has happened since then, and he died as a result of Uh, being in custody there. We've seen it play out on TV. And so it's been tough to watch our country being torn apart day after day as people lose their livelihoods and even their lives. And adding to it have been politicians who have weaponized the crisis for a political advantage in an election year. And, you know, we talked about this in June and reminded our listeners of Ephesians 6.12, where Paul talks about, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers. 
and against the rulers of darkness of this age. So, you know, Jimmy, by God's grace, our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness, as the hymn goes. And so uh, we trust him as we go forward, uh, looking back at 2020 and next week at 2021. Well, as we look back at 2020, I would say that the Lord, I'm not trying to be unkind to the Lord, but he missed a great opportunity for the rapture. And if it doesn't happen before the end of the year, 2021, I would say the best year for the rapture to take place. And what we've talked about in our conversations, indicating we have tangible evidence that rapture could happen at any moment. David, great research and thinking back with us through 2020. Looking forward to a 2021, a prophetic perspective That's going to be a great conversation. So looking forward to being with you then. And by the way, have a happy new year. We'll see you after the next year begins. Thanks so much, Jimmy. I look forward to it. We're going to take a break. When we come back, I'll take a look at the book. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung. By the way, when you're at my website, go to my Prophecy Bookstore a special deal for Christmas from Prophecy Today. We have the Prophetic Book Essential 3-Pack. Now that is great because these three books are essential for your understanding of Bible prophecy. The book of Daniel, the book of Ezekiel, and the book of Revelation. Those are the three books. I have commentaries written on all three of these, the most important books in the Bible prophetically because all other prophetic passages of Scripture dovetail into these three books. Each one addresses God's plan for a different strand of the human family. Daniel for the Gentiles, Ezekiel for the Jews, and Revelation for the Christians. In this special offer, you will receive my studies of these three special books, Daniel, Ezekiel, and Revelation, Daniel, a prophet to the Gentiles, Ezekiel, the man in the message, and Revelation, a chronology. Normal price, $45. We're going to give it to you for only $30. Let me remind you to buy right now. And by the way, when you're thinking about it, please prayerfully consider making us a part of your end-of-the-year giving. Those who partner with us keep the ministry of Prophecy Today moving forward. To donate your tax-deductible gift, please visit prophecytoday.com forward slash partners or call us at 8-PROPHECY-8, that's 877-674-3200. And thank you very much. It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. Today on Prophecy Today weekend... Our broadcast partners joined me in looking back over 2020 in this special edition of Prophecy Today, 2020, a year in review. This week, we looked back. Next week, we'll look forward at 2021, a prophetic perspective. You know, today's reports 
brought back many memories, but also reminded us of what happened in this very interesting, unbelievable year. The celebration of Christmas not only reminded us of the first coming of Jesus Christ, but because of his birth, his life, and his death, burial, and resurrection, we are reminded of his second coming as well. In reality, if you stop to think about it, we were never told in the scriptures to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. In fact, I do not see in scripture any example of any biblical personality celebrating Christmas, maybe with the exception of the wise men who came to worship the newly born Son of God when he was actually two years of age. However, we do not know for sure that that visit by the wise men was on or near Christmas Day. Today, as we take a look at the book, I want to share with you three appearances of Jesus Christ, the past, the present, and the prophetic. If you'll open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 9, verses 24 to 28, I want you to notice first verse 26. But now in the end of times, Jesus had appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. He had a miraculous birth. A virgin gave birth to the Son of God. Only time that had ever happened in the history of the world. Jesus Christ also had a miraculous life. You know, Jesus performed 32 miracles to authenticate the fact that he was indeed the Son of God. And then, of course, he had a miraculous death, burial, and resurrection. Crucifixion on a cross was not a Jewish judgment. It was a Roman judgment, and it was applied to the person of Jesus Christ. He was put in a grave three days and three nights later. He came up out of that grave and resurrected. The resurrection, the foundation for our faith, and of course the foundation for the second coming of Christ as well, Revelation chapter 1 verse 18 and 19. And then presently, as you look at Hebrews chapter 9, verse 24, we see that he is in the heavens at this point in time. He's there to intercede for each and every one of us. That's First John chapter 2. At the right hand of the Father, when Satan, Revelation chapter 12 and verse 10, accuses Christians for failure to live Christ-like, he intercedes for us. Also, he is there to instruct us. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable, profitable in instruction of a godly life. And let me remind you also, here's a very great comfort to each and every one of us. He's there to interact with us. That's through prayer. 1 John chapter 5, verse 14 says, And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he will hear us and give us our desire. A very precious promise as we interact with Jesus Christ 
in his present appearance in the heavenlies. And then, of course, prophetically, as you look at verse 28, for all of those who look for him to come, he shall come a second time and at the rapture take us up to be with him. That's 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 to 18. Prophetically, after the rapture and seven-year tribulation period, the return of Christ, he will come back to the earth. He said he's gone to prepare a place, and he will come again. That's Revelation chapter 19. That second coming of Christ will take each and every one of us into royalty with him because he will become the king of kings and lord of lords, Revelation 19, verse 16, and we then, as royalty, as his wife, the queen and royalty, will rule and reign with him forever, Revelation chapter 20. I want you to notice one thing, though, as we think through the past, present, and prophetic appearances of Jesus Christ. Look at Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27. It says, man is appointed once to die, and then after that, the judgment. Now, if you are a Christian, the judgment to follow will be the judgment seat of Christ. That is a time when those of us who know Christ will stand before him to receive rewards for those things we've done in his power and for his glory. Those rewards are crowns, five of them, they're in the word of God. Revelation chapter 22, verse 12 tells us he will return, bring those rewards with him to give us our job description forever. That's the judgment seat of Christ. But for those of you who do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you'll stand at the great white throne judgment there to be sentenced into eternal hell. I'm sorry to have to say that, but that's what God's Word says. It is an absolute. Having said that, however, let me give you the good news at this Christmas season. He came to live a life, to live a perfect life. He did that in order to be our substitute that God would demand for sin. All of us having sinned, that means that when we trust in his death, burial, and resurrection, we can know that we will have eternal life. All we have to do is what I did when I was 11 years old, that was to call upon him to save us at this time. If you do not know Christ, make that call today. If you do, let's look forward to the next event on God's calendar of activities, and that's the rapture of the church. And by the way, that rapture could even happen today. And having said that, nothing left for me to say, except let's keep looking up until... Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today. Thank you.